You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. All right, so we just read from Isaiah uh, chapter 6, and I think many of us might be wondering, what does that have to do with church planting, right? Um, in that you often see this maybe in, in, in other contexts, but... Um, Really briefly, I want to take us on, on a little bit of a journey. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit um, in Scripture as well, because I want us to see this theme um, throughout the Scriptures. But here's, here's essentially what happens, right? Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah has a, has a vision of the Lord, right? It says that he, that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, right? And that there's these uh, angelic creatures that are surrounding this throne, and they're, they're giving worship to God, right? And what do they say? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then it tells us that the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, Right, so Isaiah, I don't know how, like the particulars, right? I don't know if he's just in a dream or if he's actually been brought into the Lord's very presence. I, I don't know, but what we can know is that Isaiah sees a vision of God's glory. God's glory is revealed to Isaiah, right? And he describes it to the best of his ability with the limits that language gives us, right? And in those four verses... We know that Isaiah is just utterly astounded at what he is witnessing, right? He sees a vision of God's glory. And so um, being, that, being that Isaiah is probably one of the, the few in the Bible who gets to see something like this and then is able also to record it, all right, how does he respond? Well, he is immediately both aware of and distraught by his sinfulness, his brokenness, right? What does he say? He says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then he says, and look, it's not just me, it's everybody, right? He sees this vision of God's glory, God's holiness, and he's immediately stricken with the fact that he is inadequate to be admitted into that presence, into that place, and to dwell safely there. He knows that it's his brokenness and his sin that has set him at odds with God. That's why he proclaims woe over him. So he says, woe is me. God is so holy, and he is so not. That's essentially what he's, he's struck by. God in that moment could justly, justly cast Isaiah out, set him aside, utterly remove him from his presence for all eternity based on the fact that he was a sinner living in opposition to this great and glorious and mighty and holy God. But what happens? God, instead of casting Isaiah out in righteous judgment of his unclean state, right? Like God would have been perfectly justified to cast him out. Instead of doing that, he cleanses Isaiah, right? What does it tell us that he did? Verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and behold, said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. It's paid for. It's done. It's finished. You are now able to stand in God's presence, not as an enemy, but as a friend, because you've been cleansed. 
This is miraculous. It's counterintuitive. It's the greatest news that Isaiah could have possibly heard in that moment, isn't it? So how does he respond, right? How does Isaiah respond to God's grace? This is what happens. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Right? Isaiah immediately, willingly, committed to following God's will, no matter the cost. Right? Notice that um, God doesn't give him a job description right? God doesn't tell him, hey, uh, I want to send someone, but this is what it's going to entail. Here's the details so that you know what you're getting yourself into, right? He just says, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, full stop. When Isaiah catches a glimpse of God's glory and recognizes that he is able to behold it and dwell in it by grace, his response is full and wholehearted obedience to God's will. The same should be true for us, right? When we behold, when we catch a glimpse of God's glory and we recognize that we're able to behold that and to dwell in it, by grace, our response should be the same. There's a verse in uh, a book called Habakkuk, and probably none of us know where it is, um, but it's in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament prophet. It's, only, it's three very short chapters, but in it, uh, there's this great verse in chapter 2, verse 14, where it says this, and the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Right? It's a prophetic word from Habakkuk. So he's saying this is something that the Lord has promised will happen, that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This same glory that Isaiah beholds will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. His glory will saturate all of creation. There will be no corner that's not covered. There will be no place that can withhold it. God will do this. And so the question is how, right? Well, what we go on to know when we read the Bible all the more is that Jesus is the revelation of God's glory, right, in human flesh. In Christ, we have seen God. That's what Colossians 1 tells us when it says that he is the image of the invisible God. John 1 puts it this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have, get this, In Jesus, we have seen God's glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get a glimpse of God's glory, not unlike the glimpse that Isaiah gets, right? We get a glimpse of God's glory. We see His greatness and His goodness, and they are offered to us. His glory and His goodness are offered to us freely, as he graciously cleanses us so that we can enter into his presence without fear, as friend rather than enemy. And so, much like Isaiah, we we behold a glimpse of God's glory. We're allowed to dwell in the presence of God's glory through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, right? And now, much like God calls out to Isaiah in chapter 6, Jesus calls out to us. And in Matthew 28, again, a verse that all of us have probably heard at some point, if we're familiar with the Bible, this is what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the obedience that Jesus would have from us. And this is the obedience that is appropriate for us as those who have beheld God's glory in Christ and who are able to enjoy it graciously through his atoning for our sins. Now, you still might be asking yourselves, what does any of this have to do with church planting? Well, I would put this before you. Virtually all of the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith, right? Notice what it is that Jesus says in this verse, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then it says, baptizing them, right? So the Great Commission is a call not just to make disciples, but to baptize. Now, uh, we don't have time to go into the nuances of, of baptism and what that signifies, but, right, in Acts and elsewhere, it is clear that baptism means incorporation into the body of Christ, into a worshiping community with accountability and with boundaries, right? That's, that's immediately what happens in Acts chapter 2, right? That, those verses that we love to, to look at so often and long for the Lord's church to look like. In fact, I'll just read it. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. If baptism is incorporation into a worshiping community, we go on to read that that community also stewards the teaching Right? So do you notice that all three of the things that Jesus has commanded his people to do in the Great Commission take place in the context of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2? All of those things happen there. Disciples are made. They receive the word of God. They're immediately baptized in light of their confession of faith. And then they devote themselves, what? To teaching, to observing those things that God had commanded them to do. And so it's fairly clear, again, that God purposes not only to work in His church, but to work through His church so that the glory of God might be revealed, right? In fact, I'm going to read one final verse uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is what it says. And this is is crazy when you think about it in, in context of everything that we've said thus far. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 And this is talking to a community of believers, right? So imagine that Paul is saying this about us right now. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, get this, into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So here's... Here's what we begin to understand that's even crazier than just Isaiah's vision that he has of the Lord that's great and glorious and he's allowed to dwell in that presence, right? Now, not only, not only through Jesus do we behold God's glory, not only through Jesus are we allowed to dwell in the midst of God's glory and experience it because we're no longer sinful, we're made righteous by his work, but now we're actually being transformed and transformed into what? It says, the same image the same image from one degree of glory to the next, that as we obey and follow Jesus, that we begin to look like Jesus, that we begin to bear the same glory that Jesus 
bears in and of himself. So if the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and the glory of the Lord is presence is, is present in the people of God by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit of God working in and through them, then that means, again, that God purposes to propagate the church until the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. He wants us to multiply. We make disciples, and He wants us to plant churches. So the question isn't, should we be planting churches? The question is, where and how, right? Where and how? And so here's what we're going to do. The next few minutes, we're just going to talk a little bit about, about that. Uh, the where question is obviously the most straightforward, right? The church is not just a witness to God's glory. It's also the people through whom God's glory is revealed to the world. So it follows that if the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, then we should be indiscriminate as to where we plant churches. We should plant churches in every corner of the globe. After all, Revelation 5 paints a picture where there is a people comprised of every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lord in glory. And so with the where question answered, the final question is how. And let me say this. There are many ways to be involved in the work of church planting. There's many different uh, strategies and thoughts as to how that should be best carried out. And, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a way, and we're going to talk about our way with the humility of knowing that it's not the way, okay? So this is, this is how we plant churches. This is how we're involved in that. Number one, we're a part of something called the Sojourn Collective. I mean, so if you uh, have been around for any length of time, you know that uh, Sojourn Montrose is not the only Sojourn in Houston. There's a Sojourn Heights and a Sojourn Galleria and soon to be a Sojourn Spring Branch and three more coming after that. Um, in the relatively near future, right? Um, and so that collective, we, we essentially just belong to a family of churches where we work together to plant churches. It's intensely local um, in that we want to plant uh, focused on the urban core of Houston. Uh, it's as simple as that. We, as a church, Sojourn Montrose, we were actually born out of Sojourn Heights. And now Sojourn Heights and Sojourn Montrose together planted Sojourn Galleria, and now we are together again planting Sojourn Spring Branch, and preparing others to plant in the future. Uh, and I think many of us may know this already, um, but we have just recently brought on our first internal Sojourn church planting resident, right? This program that we send church planters through that I went through um, to prepare to plant churches in the city. And that, uh, that man is named Cold Kirby. He's not here this morning. Um, we can still applaud for him if we want. Um, <laughs> But he will spend the next two to three years being prepared to plant a church, and by God's grace, we'll see that happen um, in the city of Houston, again, through that, through that Sojourn Collective. Um, and then we're partnered with a few other organizations as well, like the Houston Church Planning Network, um, which strives to plant churches all over Houston. So where we're, where we're focused kind of in and around this 610 loop, right, we partner with the Houston Church Planning Network to see greater Houston reach. So that includes... Um, all those uh, suburbs that are a little bit further out and, and, and even further down south as well. Um, and then finally, we, again, right, we don't just partner locally. Uh, we, par we partner all over the world. And so we belong to uh, the Acts 29 network. 
Um, if you're not familiar with that, you can go to acts29.org. I think there's plenty of information there um, for you um, to catch up on that. But essentially, it's a single-issue network. It's just churches planting churches, right? So um, we work both within Sojourn and we work outside of Sojourn to see this happen. Um, and Acts 29 is not just a local network. It's not just a national network. It's a global network. So Acts 29 is doing work all across the world, and we are specifically partnered um, with uh, a church planter and his family in France by the name of Del uh, Delahoyd. And so what we're going to do um, just for the next, uh, I think, seven minutes is the video, is we're going to we're gonna watch a video just with an update as to what's going on over there. Um, one... One, so that we can be encouraged that this is happening there. Um, two, so that we can be encouraged that we get to play a, a small part of it. Um, and three, that we might be encouraged and spurred on to greater generosity um, in, our, in our giving to seeing the, the gospel of Jesus planted in the context of a church um, in another part of the world. And so um, if we want to queue up that video, I'm going to turn off the lights and we'll just spend the next few minutes getting an update on what's going on in France. I don't know if it is for you, but that's really compelling for me. Um, and so that's, uh, again, just by God's grace, what we get to be involved in with um, across an ocean from here, um, involved in a ministry, uh, again, that um, is very, very similar to ours uh, in that the nations are at their doorstep. Uh, they're in a city uh, that, that needs Jesus, needs the gospel, and they're faithfully walking that out um, just day in and day out. And so my, my prayer is that when we're 30 years old, like this church, that we would look very much the same, that we would uh, continue to have this desire um, to see God's glory multiplied in our city and across uh, the globe, um, regardless of what it costs us. Uh, because if there's anything uh, that is obvious from these texts that we read this morning, um, it's that one, uh, the glory of God is bigger than us as individuals, right? So all this garbage that you hear that uh, life should just be all about your, your pleasure um, is precisely that. It's garbage. Um, the, the glory of God is ultimately and entirely more satisfying uh, than, than a life lived for oneself. Uh, second, the, the glory of God is bigger than our church here locally um, in that um, if we get so zeroed in and so focused on just uh, sojourn, and particularly sojourn Montrose, um, we miss out on what it is that God is doing all over the world, that we have brothers and sisters that are speaking the same gospel in French uh, to people from Iran and Cameroon, and, 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 and that God is in and through and doing um, all of that, again, for, for His glory. And so uh, if it's bigger than us individually and it's bigger than our local church, then that, what that probably means is that God's glory is worth living for globally. Uh, so my prayer is that God would continue to make and mold us um, into that church for His glory uh, to be made known uh, throughout, throughout the globe. So let's pray and uh, we'll continue. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, we do thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as your people. Um, I thank you for um, these churches in France, Father, who are walking faithfully to your gospel call in spite of the cost, in spite of the fact that um, a few more members would probably be helpful at any one of those churches, and yet they are already considering what it means and what it looks like to send people out for your glory. And so um, pray that you would uh, instill in us the same desire. 
Father, to see your glory made known through your church, being planted, um, rooted in your word, uh, your perfect and pleasing and good and useful word. Um, And so, Lord, as we take communion this morning, may we be reminded of the great cost with which you've purchased us and the great treasure that we already have so that we would be willing to give up all other treasures so that your name might be known. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.